The Tom Woods Show, episode 1555. Prepare to set fire to the index card of allowable opinion. Your daily dose of liberty education starts here. The Tom Woods Show. Folks, the great and heroic Bob Murphy has a brand new book out, Contra Krugman, Smashing the Errors of America's Most Famous Keynesian. This thing is going to give you a ton of intellectual ammunition. Check it out at ContraKrugmanBook.com. And I am the narrator of the audiobook version. How about that? You can get that for free through the Audible offer at TomWoodsAudio.com. At any rate, get all the details at ContraKrugmanBook.com. Hey, everybody, Tom Woods here. All right, hard to believe that time has flown quite this much, but here we are on the final day of Gene Epstein week. How can that be? And Gene has been, of course, just an absolute champ this week, day after day coming on here. Today, we're talking about nuggets of Gene Epstein wisdom. That's as much as I'm going to tell you. I've got a list of these nuggets, and one of them, I'm not even sure what it means, but they're all going to be great because they're Gene Epstein. In fact, I asked Gene beforehand, I don't think I know what this one is. And he kind of you know, playfully said, well, you don't trust me to explain it? Come on. So I, I'm as in the dark as you are on at least one of these. But we're going to have some fun and uh, wrap up Gene Epstein week uh, in style. Gene, welcome back for the final episode of Gene Epstein week. The most exciting episode of all, Tom, as, as I knew you were waiting uh, with bated breath for my wisdom. But go ahead. Yeah. Yes, I want your wisdom. Yeah. So let's see how quickly you can impart the wisdom, because if so, we, we got one possible thing oh, we can right. revisit from a previous episode. Go back to my, some, my, some of my little uh, hobby horses. Great. Right. All right. So now you're giving me an incentive to be a little less garrulous with my wisdom, Tom. I'm, 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 I'm on the horns of a dilemma, but I'll do my best. Uh, in a way, all of this wisdom, um, at least most of it, is really just framed as in a negative of avoiding unhappiness, because, you know, it was John Stuart Mill who taught me a long time ago that happiness comes from not thinking about happiness. It's a byproduct that, of course, what we crave is uh, is to have something to get up for in the morning, and that sort of tends to make us happy. What we crave is getting up, uh, up in the morning for something with people we like who also believe in what we're doing, and, of course, obviously having the pleasure and nachos of five daughters in the case of uh, Tom and uh, two kids in my case. And I guess that sort of does get to my final bit of wisdom about libertarians having kids. But I wanted to talk about the two ways of avoiding unhappiness that I would regard as sort of narrowly personal in terms of what one does in the world. So the first one is uh, I could maybe start with an anecdote about uh, the writer, novelist, essayist, Gore Vidal, who liked to say outrageous things, but was probably honest uh, when he said that when my friends and colleagues achieve something in the world, I always die a little. He was stating his credo that he went through life feeling diminished by the achievement of others. And uh, we've all felt envy. We're not, none of us are foreign to that feeling. But uh, and then I met my wife, uh, Sako Kobayashi, an abstract painter. Uh, I've been with her for 12 years. And uh, she has introduced me to the world of artists. And they are, many of them, a really jealous, envious, backbiting 
group of people. Not all of them, but so many of them. But Asako, I may maybe partly associate that with her being Japanese, because she's got a sense of humility about herself. She is an artist of great achievement, but she always feels enhanced by the achievement of other artists. And I know, because obviously we're talking to Tom Woods, I mean, Tom is out there advertising, you know, how to get your book on Kindle, how to do this, how to do that. You know, anything that Tom has ever done in this world, professionally at least, he wants to share with others. And so his message, I think, to you all is, please transcend me. Pick up on what I've done. Learn from my mistakes. Learn from how I've done it right or done it wrong. And see if you can do better. And Tom's message and punchline out of that is obviously, I'm going to feel enhanced, enhanced by your achievement. And so I only want to say that if you struggle with that, recognize that you're doing yourself a true injustice if you find the achievement of others to diminish you. All right, Can, let me jump in here. Yeah, let me jump in there. Yeah. Because you mentioned uh, the Japanese, yeah. uh, you know, you mentioned your My wife, wife and, yeah. and her being Japanese. But that actually calls to mind a story. And yeah. doggone it, I could not find the name of the person just now. But I have... I have the book on my my shelf written by a guy named Mike Rogers, or he yeah. goes on Lou Rockwell as Mike in Tokyo Rogers, because mm-hmm. Mike is half Japanese, half American, oh, wow. but he's an expat and he lives in Japan mm-hmm. with his Japanese wife. Yeah. And he loves the Japanese people. And yeah. he wrote a book about them wow. called Schizophrenic in Japan, because he's really? not, he says, I'm not fully Japanese, so I'm not fully part of this society, but I love it. And I, I love these book. people. Oh, and yeah, so dude. he finds really beautiful, beautiful traits about yeah. the Japanese people. But at the same time, yeah. he's, and I realize I'm getting off on a tangent, but no, you know, right. I, I, I just Please. want to, uh, he's not afraid to point out flaws. Yeah. And there was one episode, and as I said, I wish I could remember the name, yeah. involving baseball, which is pretty yeah. big in Japan. It is and somebody came up to bat who was on the verge of breaking the all-time home run record. Oh. And the pitcher deliberately walked him. And he said, that's just bad sportsmanship. And he said, in the U.S., that would have been different. We have our problems with sportsmanship in the U.S., but in the U.S., the pitcher would have considered it exciting that maybe the record would be broken at that moment. Oh, wow. He thought, he thought I thought it was particularly nasty that wow. that happened. So yeah. I, it happens okay. to us all is my point. Well, I, I, I appreciate the correction, Tom. I'm, a, I'm only learning certain things about Japan. I've been there a few times, of course, since I married Osako. Uh, look, maybe it ties in with the fact that my, my wife Osako is an expat. I mean, she left Japan in her uh, mid-20s. She became a Pan Am stewardess, a stewardess of the Pan Am, and flew the world, and uh, left uh, her upper-middle-class husband in Japan because she felt that as a woman, as an artist, she was just completely strangled in terms of her aspirations. And so that was a reason for leaving Japan. But of course, she uh, she is an expat, and maybe maybe that means she's an exception. So strike that. Uh, you, well, uh, anyway, I wasn't trying to suggest because, no? as I said, the most of the book yeah. talks about traits yeah. about the Japanese yeah. that make you want to go visit. Sure, you yeah. know, like for example, he he talks yeah. about uh, being in a in a taxi 
and the taxi driver gets cut off. Now, in the U.S., you could just imagine the taxi driver attacking the guy. He says, says, but but my taxi driver simply says, oh, he must be in a hurry. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. All right. Uh, Let's talk about about this. Oh, yeah. The next one. one. Don't treat success and attention like a drug. Well, Martin Martin Weissman, I'll begin with that story. I don't know if you're familiar with the name. Martin Weissman uh, was uh, an eminent economist. He was at, I believe it was MIT, not important, but I actually knew him over the years, and he recently committed suicide. Uh, And uh, he uh, clearly got pretty far in his career. An early book that he wrote I especially liked, and I spoke to him much later, and he was actually disavowing that book, which is interesting. But that's all by the way. But what was the reason given for why he committed suicide? He was uh, obviously prone to depression, we want to grant that, but what precipitated his suicide was that he was expecting to win the Nobel Prize in Economics this past year. And a few colleagues were assuring him that he was probably a shoe-in, he didn't win, and he killed himself. And, uh, you know, I tweeted about that, and of course I said that, you know, it's, uh, the rest of us didn't win the Nobel Prize either, and uh, we didn't kill ourselves. And how awful, how terrible it is to be that kind of person, a person who, for whom success clearly was some kind of drug. It wasn't enough for him to be eminent in his field. That sort of like was enough of a drug to sort of keep him going for a while. But when you're in an addiction, I define addiction sort of in the cl- in the sort of classical narrow sense that whatever you're getting is never quite enough. Your, your body develops a tolerance for what you're getting and you need ever more of that same drug. And so obviously that way lies disaster. And for so many people, success and attention is like a drug. I believe, by the way, it was true of Charles Dickens' class. Some of the crazy things that Charles Dickens did to keep his audience, because he was so desperate to maintain his success and build on it, was an indication that his fame and fortune was like a drug addiction. And so my point is only that, I mean, Tom Tom Woods may have that dilemma. Tom has achieved a great deal. I've achieved, you know, certain things in life. But I know that if it waxes and wanes, that don't depend Depend on it. Don't expect it. Just just tell yourself that you want to do the best you can in whatever you're doing. And if you get success and attention for it, that's fine. Success and attention begins to fade. That's fine, too. Don't end up like Martin Weitzman. And indeed, as so many people are like, I mean, in Citizen Kane, that story about a megalomaniac, the same story about somebody who went into a depression because he couldn't become governor of New York and then president of the United States. But on all levels, I think that we tend to get very unhappy if we treat success and attention like a drug. That's my only bit of wisdom. Well, agreed completely. I think yeah. I think Rothbard is yeah. the anti-Weitzman yeah. in that. In that, yes. yeah. I mean, he obviously deserved a lot of attention. Yes. Didn't get very much. Got yes. more, way more of it after he died than he got during right. his lifetime. That's right. And it doesn't really seem to have affected his temperament or personality or whatever. He just carried on. And I, I, I wish I could be. And Mises is the same way. Yes, yes. I wish I could be as stoic as these men because th- stuff like that does frustrate me. And and I think partly because. I did have a really big success early mm-hmm. on. The yeah. politically incorrect guide to American history did very well. 
And so I had in my head, I guess every book I write is going to be a bestseller. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it doesn't, right. doesn't work that way. Right. You you know, should, as long as it's a really good book, right? Yeah. You, you discount, that's right. You, what you did becomes your, your sort of baseline expectation. And then you're, well, I just did it about as well as the left. You know, of course, you can get into that spiral. And I, I like the point you made, Tom. In fact, I was anticipating it indeed. I mean, Rothbard, in his own tribute to Mises, wrote, of course, that very point that here Mises is this eminent economist from Europe, and he couldn't even get an academic appointment. But he said, I never heard a note of complaint out of Mises, Rothbard said. And of course, Hans Hermann Hoppe, in his own tribute to Rothbard, wrote the same thing. Rothbard was at Brooklyn Polytechnic and never complained, always had. And, and, and of course, the most humbling thing for us both, Tom, is, of course, we, you and I, uh, even you included, Tom, can't quite claim the achievements of a Mises or Rothbard, and yet you wrote a best uh, bestseller, a New York Times bestseller. So if we get uh, more recognition than Mises or Rothbard got, in a way, it's so to speak undeserving, you know, because those people were able to to feel good in themselves and whole in themselves, know that they kept to their integrity, and they weren't dependent on success and attention. Exactly. Exactly. Now. I've I've just done different things since yeah. that book. I mean, I, I've had other books that have done well, uh, yeah. but my life has just taken interesting turns. Yeah. Now I do this podcast, mm-hmm. and that does pretty well. But you know, there was a time when I think maybe around the time of the rally for the republic, where mm-hmm. you know that was I was speaking to thousands and thousands of people. Mm-hmm. Where I think there was this brief time where I got kind of a high from these things, and so I I needed more. I need to speak to this big group and that big group, right. and I'm really glad I'm over that. I mean, I never told anybody that, but I'm really glad I'm because I mean, right now I don't even do that much public speaking anymore. I'm very yeah. content to just be home with the family and and do the podcast and whatever else I do, my emails and stuff. I'm perfectly happy with that. And I think, by the way, I don't want to get into numbers, yeah, sure. but I think Dave Smith, who is a much better promoter of his show than I am of mine, yeah. mm-hmm. I think he has surpassed me. In right. audience. Oh, really? But I, I don't resent that in no. any way. I think Dave's success is good for the world. I no. want Dave to succeed. I, if Dave had 10 times the audience I did, I would not be unhappy about that. Well, the other nuance, well, that, that's a great example. I mean, I mean, I see, I mean, Dave is, uh, Dave and you and others, I mean, I'm, it enhances, that. Uh, that's great to know. It enhances my own self to know that Dave is doing great, that you're doing great, and it enhances you to know that Dave is doing so well. But I wondered, times, by the way, it's some of the backbiting at you, Tom, is just that, you know, that resentment, that element of resentment. But of course, in your case, my God, you've worked like a dog all your life. Uh, interesting about those those talks that you said, you, of course, you have said that, 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 of course, it was an exhausting life to be uh, flying around the country delivering uh, talks all the time. And indeed, uh, you are, of course, a, a really, uh, really outstanding speaker. And I could imagine how it is uh, sort of like a drug. You know, by the way, you remind me of another bit of wisdom that I wanted to fit in. <laughs> it's been on my mind for a long time. When you were advising people about stage fright, about appearing before groups, and you said, and it was true, of course, up to a point, just remember that everybody in the audience is pulling for you. They want you to do well. You know, you're not fighting a hostile group. You know, I always chuckled at that almost from the first time you said it, because there's a little asterisk there, unless you're debating at the Soul Forum. Oh, right. No, the, <laughs> then you should be nervous. <laughs> then I have no advice then, for then you. you should recognize, you know, I have to recognize that one third of the, yeah, that a lot of people in the audience don't want you to do too well. So that's, by the way, why, why the 
sell for them is a bit of an ordeal. You know, there are hostile people in the audience, people who want to shoot you down. So that's another bit of wisdom. You know, Tom is right, but footnote, not at the Soul Forum. Uh, all right. Okay. Now, l- let me add one more thing. And I, I don't sure. know why I'm being so brutally personal in this please, uh, episode, no, but, I, but this, I'm going to just get this off my chest. If you, if you ever saw the series Breaking Bad. Of course. I actually saw it for the second time recently. Okay. I'm not going to give anything away. This oh. I promise this is not a spoiler. Oh my gosh. But in the last episode, yeah. when he's looking over his life and what he's done, yeah. uh, you know, with the drugs and stuff, yeah. uh, his wife just can't bear to hear yeah. him say once again, I did it for the family. Yeah. She can't bear to hear yeah. that. And in fact, he doesn't say that. He I know. Says, I know. He says, I did it for me. Yeah. yeah. I liked it. Yeah. I was good at it. Yeah. And that kind of reminds me of those couple of years where I was just everywhere to be found. I was everywhere oh. speaking. Oh. Because, yeah, I did that to support the family. Yeah. But I do think there was some Walter White in me there. That there was an itch I just needed to scratch, and well, thank thanks be to God, I'm over that now. Well, that that that's an excellent point. And, and matter of fact, because I forget who had was it. I, I, that's right. It was Pete Quinones, uh, Pete Raymond on uh, Free Man Beyond the Wall. He had a young guy on who did some interesting sort of libertarian riffs on Breaking Bad, libertarian discussions of Breaking Bad. And then I seen it once, and then it sort of motivated me to go through the whole series again. And it it is really beautifully put together uh, story, and it is of course about a guy for whom making money and and getting on top of the drug world is a drug that's never enough. So that that really is precisely about success and, so to speak, attention of being like an addictive drug for this guy, which is, of course, ultimately his undoing. And that's a great moment at the end, uh, indeed. It's a superbly done uh, series, one of my favorites, and uh, I, of course, highly recommend it. And thank you for that point, Tom. And I think it's great that you're... You're talking about yourself. That That is interesting about you. And, uh, and of course, it does tie in your talent as a speaker. And, of course, you kept saying, well, you know, it's too exhausting. But uh, as you've said, obviously, it was very tempting. It was a drug. And naturally, naturally, it can be, of course. Uh, well, I guess I can go on to the next uh, bit of wisdom, Tom. Just yeah, please do. Go ahead. Yep. And then, uh, well, let's see. Uh, let me just keep it on the level of the personal for the moment. The, the, on the level of the personal, it's for both guys mainly who are unattached, my simple bit of sort of wisdom advice is, of course, to recognize that you have to, if you're a libertarian, you have to, of course, recognize that if you go to the Soul Forum or if you go to any kind of libertarian group or libertarian chat room or wherever, or if indeed you review, and Tom has had a lot of very, very brilliant women on his show, but he's yet to do a week devoted to a woman thinker. So therefore, there's obviously a big uh, skewing among libertarians, especially in terms of the gender mix, men versus women. And that creates a bit of a dilemma for men who want to meet women. I actually, when I, I was uh, I was looking to get married about 14 years ago, and I did, did have to put on my uh, Match.com profile, not only was I a libertarian, but that I was not a Zionist, that I wanted it on record. Because I know that really rubs people the wrong way. If you're not a Zionist, I might as well just have that out there. I'm very critical of the government of Israel in terms of its policies. And so that pretty much shut me out of, uh, you know, the vast majority of eligible women in New York City. But because I met Hisako, who is an, an abstract artist, 
who uh, didn't have any great convictions about such things. Uh, I think she's a natural libertarian anyway. I met her her son, uh, JJ, uh, who is actually his significant other is, is, is Naomi Brockwell. So she's been on Tom's show. So it's all part of the family now. Uh, I met JJ and it was very easy to convert him to libertarianism when I met him. But that's my own personal story. I, I didn't get to the advice. The advice is only that if you are, and in fact, I met a, a libertarian from Cato Institute who's been unattached in D.C., and he's a little bit unhappy. He's divorced, unattached. And I said, look, you've got to work um, OKCupid. Okay, you've got to you've got to do outreach with respect to all of the uh, Internet dating sites. I don't know which one to recommend, but you've got to, you, you've got to work at it because there are people out there. And uh, obviously, you're handicapped because you wear the badge of libertarianism. I mean, you're looking for somebody in D.C. Maybe you have to travel to Baltimore to find her. Maybe, maybe you have to uh, marry somebody who wasn't born in this country. But if you make the effort, you can find them. People will appreciate you and won't object to the fact that you're a libertarian. But uh, don't get discouraged. You're doing something for us all because, of course, if you meet these people, then – you might convert them a little bit and win them over to the cause. So I'm only trying to say that it's not easy to be a libertarian guy, especially a libertarian guy like me, who uh, who had to advertise the fact that he was not a Zionist. But I made my way. I found a way to meet a wonderful woman and you can too. So that's my bit of wisdom there. The only other bit of wisdom for libertarian parents Tom has five. Uh, recently, because I, I joke with Dave, I know Dave is crazy about the daughter he's just had, and because he expects her to be a libertarian, I don't know if he really does, but he talks like that. I met a, a young woman who was pregnant about a year or two ago, and she said, well, he's going to be a libertarian, that's for sure. They all talk like that. But uh, obviously, it's a very unfortunate expectation to have. It's not going to make you happy if you have that expectation. Uh, the thing to say to yourself is really that you're stuck with the fact that you love all your children unfathomably. These are people you'll take a bullet for. And so when you love people unfathomably, that transcends whatever political convictions they might have. The worst of it is you'll love them unfathomably, even if they do things that you morally disapprove of. You'll be able to split the difference. You'll say, well, look, you deserve to be punished for what you did if you're a criminal, but I still love you unfathomably. I'm still going to visit you in prison every chance I get. Nothing is going to alter my love for you. And so uh, once you have that peace of mind, then gets back to what you were asking me about uh, a few days ago, Tom, about getting lectures at the table about your libertarianism. Don't push it hard. Don't impose it. The best way they'll learn it is if they're interested in it. There's no great secret to the fact that I'm one for two. I have a daughter I love unfathomably. I have a son I love unfathomably. And only one of them is a libertarian. But I'm still quite happy and quite proud of my daughter. And I love her just as unfathomably as I love my son. So that's my advice to you as well, Tom. You've got five. And I know Regina takes a special interest in what you do. I don't know about the other four. You love them all unfathomably and you're stuck with that. And that's all you really need to know about your relationship with them. Well, also, of yeah. course, maybe I'll put it on the show notes page yeah. if, if people haven't seen it. Yeah. The, the video of the roast at the 1000th Tom Wood Show episode. Oh, yeah? 
yeah. because during the roast, yeah. the four oldest of the five oh, wow. got up and roasted me. Oh, wow. <laughs> and you get some sense of the affection and how well they know what I'm about. Like Regina was telling jokes about my not having an economics degree yeah. because she knows that Bob and I joke about that on Contra Krugman. Are so. She- and I didn't know they were going to, that was a surprise to me. Uh-huh. I did not know they were going to be part of that roast. Yeah. Just Eric July brought them up and I just couldn't believe it. And they they brought the house down because they were so good. Wow. They had, nobody wrote their jokes for them. They wrote those jokes wow. and they killed Gene. They killed. I'm going to send you the video. <laughs> you'll, 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 you'll like this, Tom, because it was, because it was very shades of Contra Cruz, the kind of quizzes and games you play. My son, Jim, at my birthday party, the actual party, my daughter couldn't make it because my son lives in Brooklyn, so he came. So he lead it off with a roast toast, and he he set a, a panel of three people. Lou Perez was one of them, uh, you know, Lou. A panel of three people were appointed who didn't know me that well, and it was a series of multiple choice questions about me. You know, like which didn't he do, or which did he, which one did he do? You know, how, how well do you know this guy? And it was really very funny and very sort of contra cruise. So I know what that's like and i think it's great obviously the first thing that your children want to know about you is that you can be a figure of fun uh, they can make fun of you because you have feet of clay you're not an authority on everything uh, not an authority on all aspects of the world and they have to make their own way in the world and if they want to be interested in your libertarianism that's great if they don't want to be interested in your libertarianism also great so yeah that's right and, 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 yeah. yeah by the way i you know, if they ask me, what do I think about such and such? I yeah. tell them. Yeah. And sometimes unsolicited, I'll tell them things yeah. that I think sure. they need to know. Yeah. Yeah. But I am not trying to craft them yeah. into libertarians because yeah. I feel like if they if they respect me as a person, yeah. then, you know, then that's going to lead them down a particular road. But gosh, how humorless and awful would it be? Today is your next libertarian lesson. I'm just, you know. That's what the show is for. You know? That's right. That's, <laughs> you know, that's, it, 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 it harkens back to my childhood where I was so stunted. Of course, for me, it was just I choose capitalism and socialism. It was like choosing my mother or my father. So mixed up in my own mind. Obviously, right. obviously, they don't. They, their father has feet of clay. They don't have to choose libertarianism because their authority figure father believes in it. That's anti-libertarian. Obviously, that's not the way you want them to find their way to libertarianism. So you're doing the right thing, Tom. And if you're being an example to all those others, including Dave Smith. Now, Dave, of course, he'll never stop joking about his about the daughter he's crazy about. I'm sure that he knows the right thing to do as well. <laughs> All right, Gene, we are wrapping up Gene Epstein yeah, Week yeah. with one more bit of wisdom. And I think we're going to leave people hanging on that other thing, because then the next yeah. time I have you on, there'll be all this sure, anticipation. Exactly. What is your last uh, bit of wisdom? Uh, yeah, yeah, my last bit of wisdom, of course, is the vision, just just the very vision, which, by the way, he, I maybe start with it. Here's something interesting. There is a book called, which I ordered because I found it fascinating, The People's Almanac Presents the Book of Predictions. It was published in the 1970s. And it includes a collection of predictions by a number of eminent people. And it includes a prediction by Murray Rothbard issued in the 19, uh, early 1980, 1981. Rothbard predicted a number of things that didn't turn out to be the case. And so I just mentioned that because another example of, of Murray not always getting it right. Uh, he predicted that inflation would get a lot worse than the 1980s in particular, but actually there was disinflation and uh, the disinflation continued into the 90s with the end of the Cold War. So certain things surprised even Murray. And of course, the end of the Cold War, the fall of the Soviet Union, 
was, of course, the one, one of the big events in the history that I lived through, which was absolutely stunning, unanticipated by most. I mean, it was. I mean, Robert Heilbrunner, who I mentioned earlier in this uh, in the week, who was my mentor, wrote a very gracious essay for the New Yorker in which he gave a, a great deal of credit to Mises uh, in particular for anticipating that the Soviet Union was un, was not viable. Mises, of course, was never going to put a date on the fall of the Soviet Union, but he said, you know, people like me were clueless and Mises, of course, was right. And I love that sentence, by the way, Mises, of course, was right <laughs> because, you know, nobody, nobody was writing, of course, about Mises getting it right about the dysfunctions of socialism in the Soviet Union, but how Brunner wanted to give him credit. And so I mentioned that only because it, for the most of us, and certainly Rothbard didn't mention the fall of the Soviet Union in, in his prediction, for most of us, it was an absolutely stunning event. There, there were other things that happened uh, in the 1970s that were rather surprising. The end of the airline cartel, there was a big movement toward deregulation. Some of the airfares were, were affordable by the average person because the airline cartel uh, maintained by the Civil Aeronautics Board was unraveled. So things do happen. And my favorite line is that those who tell me as a radical that I have no sense of politics, uh, to them I say that they have no sense of history. And so you asked I think it was one of the sort of impossible questions you laid on Ron Paul. You know, what do you think about the future? I'm going to sort of duck that one and, and only emphasize that the unhappy tendencies of today and the tendency to extrapolate the unhappy trends of today into an unhappy future could be right, could be right. But history is filled with surprises. I mean, my conviction is that the commitment to a stronger state, to Elizabeth Warrenism, to Bernie Sanders, to this sort of quasi-socialist vision on the part of the young, I think it runs only skin deep, and it could easily turn around. And then, of course, we all know my other, of course, favorite example is that if somebody told you in 1850 that slavery, which existed in both North and South America and had existed for many centuries, many millennia, was going to finally be abolished in 20 years, much of it bloodlessly in many countries in South America, then again, it would have been difficult to believe. So I'm only trying to say that that we radicals or let me quote Milton Friedman as well. Milton Friedman had a good line where he said that we develop radical possibilities because we need these ideas to be lying around whenever we can use them. Maybe Milton Friedman's radicalism was not quite my radicalism, but it was a good insight. We have to keep the radical flames alive, the radical insights alive, because we never know when we might need them. It might not happen in my lifetime, may not happen in Tom's, but we're part of the human story and we look forward to the possibility of it happening. And we have very good reason in history to recognize that radical change in the right direction can often happen. 
Well, that is a tremendous note on which to end Gene Epstein Week. Now, at the beginning of each episode, I have reminded you all of the tremendous work that Gene does with the Soho Forum. Yes. So you remember the website, thesohoforum.org. If you go to one of these events, as long as it's at the Subculture Theater, not if it's at one of yes. these big ones right. for some other reason, <laughs> you get a free drink at the bar if you say Tom Woods that's to Gene right. Epstein. That's right. So that's a tremendous offer. Yes. But they are just, and, and, and of course, you can go there and view previous debates, which as you have been able to tell, I've been doing myself on my drives. I realized, wait a minute, I could be listening to Soho Forum debates. So there's nothing like this anywhere. There really is, there should be, but there isn't. And Gene's doing it and it's it's tremendous. And the only, the only small breakthrough is that the, the reason, Reason Foundation that, that we, I've decided will be our parent nonprofit, they handle all our books and they do everything for us for nothing. They've established a separate podcast called The Soho Forum Debates. This was brought out just a month ago so that if you are if you want to listen to a podcast in your car, you can just go into The Soho Forum Debates and all of the debates that we've had are available on that podcast. And, right. and of course, I'm very pleased by the fact that my debate with Richard Wolf has now on YouTube exceeded more than 200,000 viewings. Wow, excellent. excellent. And that is a very good debate, as we mentioned in a previous episode. Gene, thank you very much for Gene Epstein Week. You are a a gem, really. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. Back at you. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. All right, everybody, that's Gene Epstein Week. So your next step is go to thesohoforum.org, check those debates out. And your step after that is, if you like and appreciate what I'm doing here at the Tom Woods Show, then you surely belong inside the Tom Woods Show elite you get many, many, many benefits, not least of which is membership in my group where we all talk to each other and have some fun, but there are a lot of other great benefits too, not to mention warming my heart. I mean, isn't that a benefit? So please do check that out as your weekend homework assignment at supportinglisteners.com. Thanks for listening. Become a smarter libertarian in just 30 minutes a day. Visit TomWoods.com to subscribe to the show for free, and we'll see you next time. Like the sound of The Tom Woods Show? My audio production is provided by Podsworth Media. Check them out at Podsworth.com.